We all know baseball is a long season. I'm Brett Boone from the Brett Boone Podcast. This summer, take a trip down memory lane with me and hear from the legends of the game. So far this year, I've had conversations with Randy Johnson, Pete Rose, Deion Sanders. Plus, every week we look at the state of Major League Baseball, which teams are exceeding expectations, which ones are struggling to meet them. Follow and listen to the Brett Boone Podcast on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. We are barely into the new year, and this is the time of year where parents, especially of young kids, start tearing their hair out, losing their mind, not because they're stressed out about their kids going back to school or their kids' activities starting up, because they are trying desperately to get a spot in summer camp. It is one of the most frustrating things about parenting young kids. Summer is tough. It's not like the summers when we were kids where you were just hanging out or in the neighborhood. Instead, it's a race to try to get into the hot summer camps to figure out when you can pick. Uh, Oh, it's a nightmare. And from that nightmare comes opportunity. At least that's what a couple of entrepreneurs hope here in the Twin Cities. Meredith Englund is with us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. And Meredith, you and a couple of partners have founded something called Camperoni. Oh, the, the... did this come That's out right. of did this come out of your own frustrations in in dealing with this process? Definitely. So I'm a mom in Minneapolis. I've got an 8-year-old and a 5-year-old at home, and parents spend up to 12 hours a week doing administrative grunt work on behalf of their kids. <laughs> so I was I was living this challenge myself specifically around summer camps and kids sports and activities. Um, And basically, you first have to figure out what it is your kid wants to do that also works with the logistics of your family, things like, hey, when can my husband drop off the kid and when can I pick up the kid? Uh, How much do we want to spend on this, et cetera? And so it's just a huge challenge for parents. And I talked to my my co-founder and friend, Aaron, who's also a mom, and we said there has to be a better way. And we've got the skills to fix it, so let's give it a shot. My kids are a little older now, and I remember when they were younger, though, trying to like create this grid of what camps yes. were available, what was the drop-off, what was the pick-up time. Because some of these camps, you're like, who are the parents who can go pick, pick up their kid <laughs> at 11.15 on Tuesday morning? Like, what is that job schedule? But that that's some of the challenge of trying to sort this out, right? Yeah, every parent that I know has their spreadsheet. <laughs> right. And parents will spend hours and hours creating the spreadsheet of how they're going to manage their kids' summers. They'll send it from friend to friend to friend to say, hey, you know, Joey, we're thinking about sending him here. Where is Susie going this summer? Um, so, yeah, it's a huge undertaking. And like you said, a lot of the really critical information are logistics information, Mm, things like pickup times and drop-off times. Do I have to pack a lunch for my kid? And you generally have to dig deep into websites to find those answers, or maybe you don't even find out until two weeks before the camp starts and you get that welcome email. So we're trying to grab all of that information, make it easily searchable for parents from the get-go. You can find the camp that works for your whole family. It's stuff your kids are going to be excited about because we've got various interests STEM, arts, et cetera, but it's also camps that work for the logistics of the parents. Meredith Englund is a founder and CEO of Camperoni, 
So how does the site work? So you can go to Camperoni.com today. You can register. It's a free account. It's free for both parents that are searching for camps and for the camps to provide the listings. So we can have all the camps up there because they don't have to pay anything to be up there. Um, you search through, uh, we've got a bunch of filters and search capabilities, so you can look at things like scholarship availability, mm, location, yeah. age of your kid, interests. It'll pop up a bunch of options for you. You can save your favorites to lists. You can share those lists with your friends so you can coordinate. And then you can even save a calendar reminder if the camp hasn't opened registration yet, but we know the registration date so that you've already got it on your calendar and you're ready to go. I know that the Minnesota Twins kind of tech startup accelerator, uh, tech stars, uh, you were accepted into that in November. What kind of what uh, what has that process been like for you? It has been a phenomenal process. So I actually have been a mentor for this program before. Um, and have really enjoyed working with startups going through the program. So I knew how valuable it would be coming in. And the Minnesota Twins have been hugely helpful. They provide a bunch of mentors to the program. Techstars, which is a global accelerator program, also provides a bunch of mentors. We've been able to get really close to the folks who actually run the Minnesota Twins summer camps, which opened this week, by the way. Go check them out. Uh, and so it's been great to hear that camp provider perspective from people who really know it inside and out. What's your what What's your background, Meredith? What led you to this sort of entrepreneurship? I worked at Ecolab for a little over a decade after coming out of the consulting world with the convening company, and uh, I actually helped start the Techstars Farm to Fork Accelerator while I was at Ecolab and fell in love with working with founders and, you know, making, uh, making new products come to life on a, on a fast scale. So a couple years ago, I left Ecolab, joined another startup that I had been mentoring through the program, uh, and then left that company in the spring, was planning on taking a nice long break from work, you know, and realized that though I wasn't working, I was still so very busy doing this sort of work, which yeah, being yeah. the idea for Camperoni. So I, you know, I think a lot of parents use uh, just the Google calendar, right? Like that is what sort yeah. of manages the DeRussia household where my kids yeah. put their stuff on there. I've got my stuff. My wife has her stuff. And it's okay, it's okay, <laughs> right? Like it, you know this. I'm sure you've you've plotted through some oh, of those yeah. things. So, is the vision of this to be to to sort of fill the gap and try to help families in that regard? Yes, we we would love to help automate all of the administrative grunt work of parenting, starting with camp sports and activities and moving on. Play from dates? There. Are you going to set up play dates? I think the uh, the administrative yes. grunt work is sort of the 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 hidden uh, uh frankly it's a little bit of a sexist relic i think because in many ways it's the it's the woman or the mother or the wife who ends up with all of this work it is one of the most um gendered uh it's got one of the biggest gaps in the household in terms of gender for who ends up doing this type of work so yes it does tend to be the the woman when there's a woman in the relationship yeah. and um and like you said you know play dates 
birthdays. I have a daughter whose birthday is in January, and January in Minnesota means it's not going to be outside in a park. So the holidays come, the holidays go, and then I'm quickly rushing to find a location to host Hmm. my daughter's birthday party, and inevitably I start that process too late. So I need those reminders too, and we're going to build that all into the platform. So interesting. Starting with that camp search, Camperoni, good name. It's a good name. Thank that's, you. That's part of it, right? Like, it's a little bit of a little bit of the marketing, a little bit of the <laughs> technology, and all of that kind of coming together here. How do you make money if it's free to everybody? If it's free on both sides, how does this work for you guys? We're not making money yet. We are planning on introducing some premium subscriptions in the summer uh, to give really super personalized alerts and reminders make sure that parents just feel on the ball more. So that's what we'll be rolling out in the summer. But our goal is to keep the searching free for parents and the listing free for camps. Nice. Uh, I love it. I'm excited about it. I'm sure parents, anything that can make this a little easier. Can you come and pick up my kids? Like that would be helpful. <laughs> that's the... I'm not going to touch that personally, <laughs> but it there is... are some interesting startups out there yeah. that are going in that direction. Yes. Take, yes. Do a little Googling and you might find something. Summer camp has been like one of the least disrupted uh, industries when you look at how much AI and technology and automation has changed the way we get our food delivered, the way we get rides around town, the way we find places to uh, stay when we go on vacation. But this thing is still... Well, maybe you guys can kick it into the into the modern age. That's the goal. We're using the latest in technology on the back end to make this scalable in terms of getting and processing all of that camp data. So we're using natural language processing, AI, all the fun buzzwords on the back end to make sure it's a really good yeah. uh, experience for parents on the front end. If you don't say AI, you won't get any funding. I mean, that's how it works. Exactly. Right now. It has some... a little, every time you say it, an angel gets its thing. <laughs> that's exactly right. Exactly right. Well, I'm excited about it. It was great to talk with you. Meredith Anglin, one of the uh, founders of Camperoni and the CEO. The website is C-A-M-P, Camperoni, uh, E-R-O-N-I.com. Meredith, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much. The mayor of Minneapolis should not veto the city council's resolution about Israel and Palestine and Hamas, even though this resolution, I believe, is ridiculous. Here's my thinking, and I welcome your input at 651-461-9226. Today, the city council had their second meeting with wall-to-wall people who are very emotionally invested in a resolution standing up for Palestine. Let's be real about what this is. This is not a resolution where you're saying, we care about the innocent victims in Israel and we care about the innocent victims in Palestine. This is a resolution saying Israel is screwing over Palestine and we don't like it. That's what it is. That's the motivation of the people who are pushing this forward. So we can stop pretending like this is really about standing up for innocent lives. It's not. This is a belief among 
certainly uh, younger leftists, where the anger, in my view, is disproportionately placed against Israel. Now, I think people can be nuanced. You can be realistic about the situation over there and say the political response of the state of Israel uh, is over the line. It's over the line. And Hamas has set up a situation in Palestine where hitting a military target without civilian casualties is impossible because that is what Hamas has been doing over the last couple of decades, which is building its infrastructure and then loading up innocent people above it. So could we have a nuanced resolution like some cities have passed? Hastings passed one that was more about, you know, we are against innocent people losing their lives in this battle. Sure. That's not what happened. So why, Jason, do you think the mayor should sign it? And I don't know if the mayor has an option to just do nothing and then it goes into effect, sort of like the president, the pocket. Pocket veto. Uh, Here's why. As a city, we should not be spending another minute on an issue where literally no one is going to change their mind. Nothing's going to change. So having absolute chaos in the city council chambers, having council members swearing at community activists, We don't have time for this. We have enough problems in our own community that we do not need to spend another meeting doing what we know what uh, will happen. Nine members of the 13 voted in favor of this resolution today. Uh, So if the mayor vetoes it, they will pass it again, but not without a circus. And... The practical effect of this, in terms of policy, is nothing. What the city council has done is what politicians now seem to think is a major part of their job, which is making people who feel strongly feel seen and heard. And that is all this is. And so let's get it over with, is sort of my view. Let's get it over with. There's clearly a performative element to it, there's no doubt. Uh, you, it's a symbol. It's a symbolic act, and I think even the folks that are for it would say it's a symbolic act. The folks that are for it will say that this is, if you, you know, the individual person can't have an effect on foreign policy, but city governments, state governments, collectively can put pressure on the on the federal government, and in that way, people can. Which is which? Which is a cute theory. Right. Again, probably symbolic in nature, but. And there's nothing wrong with symbols like our city council had a resolution backing the people of Ukraine. Sure. So it's not like our city council doesn't wade into stuff that they just want to send a message or or mostly they're just trying to kiss up to some angry constituent or a group of constituents. I think you're on to something here. And you know that I'm usually the one saying that you're on something. instead of It's fair. I do think you're on to something here that this is a symbolic act. Uh, It's going to pass. Yes. Uh, so the, the anything that can be done to reduce the circus nature of this and so that the, giving the council the opportunity to move on to actual business that's going to affect actual Minneapolis residents, fine. If they're going to do this, let's just do this and move on with our lives. I, I, I agree with you on that. This is also a resolution that does reflect how 
a significant number of people in the city of Minneapolis feel on this issue. And I think that is fascinating because to me, I, I do think that if what happened to the people of Israel happened to people of any other ethnic or religious minority group, you would see a different reaction. Sure. You just would. And why is that? I think the reasons are complicated. Well, I mean, I think you were on to something earlier when you talked about, you know, young leftists. I think there's amongst people on the left, especially the younger folks at this uh, in this time and place, there's a tendency to see to divide the world into groups of oppressors and oppressed and, and to see people in that kind of binary. And I'm loathe yeah. to, to reduce things to binaries at all. But I think that's kind of what's going on. And where you and I grew up in a world where we were very vividly reminded of what happened during World War II uh, and the struggle that led to Israel's existence and the struggles early in Israel's existence, younger folks don't have that kind of tactile, t- tangible memory of Israel in that way. They see Israel as a nuclear power, plenty strong in its own right, that's then oppressing the Palestinian people. And I'm not arguing that Israel's been perfect in terms of its treatment of the Palestinians. There's plenty of criticism to go around there. But too easily uh, folks are dismissing what happened on October 7th. And I really, really encourage folks um, to go out and, and read about that because there's a great uh, Christianity Today podcast, too, that focuses uh, on what happened on October 7th. You may not agree with what Israel is doing, but you understand it a lot better when you really get into the details of what happened on the 7th. No one was proposing a resolution after that attack on the 7th. Nope. I would just say that. So pretending that this is about, well, they're barely pretending. Some of the, some of the members who vo- of the city council who voted for this, uh, you know, I think are pretending that yeah. it's really about standing up for innocent lives. But, but they rejected a proposal to kind of, you know, make the language more neutral. And frankly, there are a, a, a there is a significant portion of the city of Minneapolis and of the city council that wants to characterize this as straight up a genocide on the part of Israel. That's I, I don't think, see it that way. I think you know it's one thing to have empathy and and concern for the people of Palestine. Absolutely, in the that, Gaza, the people of Gaza Strip. Absolutely, I think you do your do that cause a major disservice when you start accusing. Israel of genocide. When we start fighting over the use of that word, you take the spotlight off of the real suffering that's going on in that area and put it onto the, some political semantical debate. And, and I think that's that's a poor strategy. Well, I hope we're done with it. That's what I would like to see. Just get it. Be done with it. And let's move forward as a city. 431. We are live at the Armory in downtown Minneapolis, the site of tonight's Diamond Awards, Minnesota Twins honoring some of the great players, uh, the great community leaders of this past season. Looking forward to Twins Fest this weekend. Uh, we are going to meet uh, one of the folks uh, representing one of the nonprofits that will be the beneficiary of tonight's activities in just a minute here on Drive Time. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? 
This boy isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. We are at the Armory in downtown Minneapolis. It looks beautiful tonight, ready for the 19th Annual Diamond Awards. The Minnesota Twins celebrating. Oh, they're giving awards to their community leader, to their rookie of the year, defensive player, all sorts of great stuff. Carlos Correa, Royce Lewis, among the people who will be getting awards tonight. And we are celebrating baseball, obviously, on this Hall of Fame week where Joe Maurer Gets into the hall. This weekend, we've got Twins Fest. And soon enough, uh, it'll be go time down in Fort Myers to get <laughs> get this season started. Frankly, I feel like I've been at opening days that have had colder weather than what we've had here in the Twin Cities <laughs> over the last couple of days. Part of the joy of the Diamond Awards is the money that's raised to support the Twins Community Fund and also to support... The University of Minnesota's efforts uh, to do research and make a difference when it comes to health and the people of Twins Territory. Nick Engblom is the Senior Director of Community Partnerships, joins us here at the Armory. Good friend, Nick. It's good to see you. You too. I was just going to say, let's pull the tarps off Target Field and go have this event over there at this point. (laughs) (laughs) We could have had it there, right? Oh, my gosh. It is unbelievable. This weather, it's it's a little disappointing, actually. I don't like the snow. I don't like the cold. So I'm not that guy. But I feel badly uh, about all the ice fishing businesses and people who love that snowshoeing and all of it that they can't do it it lifts up it lifts up three months of the year for those businesses and it is sad right and yeah. that's a cash cow for them and here we are having calls with napa valley and it's colder there than it is in minnesota and they're like what are yeah, you talking right? about <laughs> it's very true you you talk to winemakers in napa valley for wine fest which is a huge fundraiser for m health fairview masonic children's hospital um Tell us how the Diamond Awards are going to make a difference for for some of the efforts over through the University of Minnesota Foundation. Yeah, and thank you for your support, Jason. You're on the Children's Hospital Board at Masonic Children's Hospital. But this is a different area. You know, we're supporting neurodegenerative diseases. And the Twins have made this a priority for them for 19 years. And we all know Bob Allison and that story. And the family has carried on that tradition by making this Twins Award show, Diamond Awards, uh, very important for the players to win the awards, but at the end of the day, we're raising crucial dollars for the University of Minnesota and the work we're doing in those neurodiseases. And so since its inception in 2002, the Diamonds Awards has now raised more than $4 million, um, and it's benefited research, education, care, specifically with those with neurodegenerative diseases. And those are, as, people know Parkinson's. And that, they call them like the big five or six, and ALS, ataxia, muscular dystrophy, MS and Parkinson's and it's and these things suck. I mean, there's for the you know, I have a friend uh, who's suffered with Parkinson's. Obviously, um, it's just so hard to, to not have answers. That's the thing that we were talking about earlier is like events like this give a voice, mm-hmm. right? It gives you a hope. It gives you an opportunity to think there's more out there. And, and if we raise money, you just don't know where that next vial, that next research initiative could make the difference right yeah. and i think you and i yeah. talked about it's it is sad it it goes from zero to 100 like that so fast yeah 
Yeah. It, it's a bummer. And it, it affects is. everyone, right? Because, I mean, obviously, any sort of, you know, uh, chronic illness affects everybody around them or a degenerative disease. But this is so difficult because of the physical uh, effects of what you see from these sort of neurodegenerative diseases. Yeah, and like you, I think we've talked about this earlier. It's like these individuals who are rock stars lose all motor abilities, but mm. their mind is still there, right? right? And I think there's so Ugh. many things that the pain of that, right? I, I think about like you as an athlete growing up, and you're like, I'm invincible, and then all of a sudden this this disease takes over your body, and you can't do anything about right. it. It's just, it's, it yeah. makes you think about how, how grateful we are today and, and those that are fighting, we've got your back, right? That's what this is all about. That's what Diamonds Awards is all about. Nick Engblom is here from the University of Minnesota. Nick, I think a lot of people don't realize sort of the, the real expertise that we have, especially when you look at uh, Parkinson's at the University of Minnesota. Yeah, you know, East Coast, West Coast, they want to brag about their health systems, and I think we can do better in Minnesota. We like to be passive-aggressive in Minnesota <laughs> nice and keep our heads down and work through the winter. And I think using these platforms to shout from the mountaintops, I think this is a really cool fact, is the University of Minnesota is one of only three centers in the United States of America that is a Udall Parkinson's Disease Center of Excellence. This is an NIH award that provides funds for research in Parkinson's disease. It requires an elite group of researchers to come together to work towards finding new and novel treatments that eventually significantly improve the uh, the outcomes for people with uh, PD and ultimately find a cure. We don't even know that's here, right? We don't talk about it. Yeah. So let's use this platform tonight in front of this amazing affluent crowd that loves the twins, that has a little money, and then let's talk about it from the rooftops about how amazing the University of Minnesota really is. This year, uh, you've gotten involved in this event to hopefully amp it up. It's always been a celebratory event, a good fundraiser, fun for fans to uh, get the chance to, I mean, it's a pretty intimate setting to be able to hang out with some of these amazing players who are going to be here tonight. But you're really trying to help amp up the fundraising effort. Yeah, we call these. We need money to get uh, to get to a cure, to get to solutions. You know what? We call these things event resets. You know, 19 years. There are times when it's like, let's reimagine what Diamond Awards can look like. And it used to be at Target Field. That was the shiny object. Then it went to the depot on. Let's grow this into a gala. And now we're at the Armory, which is awesome, right? We're we're trying to make this look like you're walking in a Target Field. You're experiencing the pregame. You get to have a little fun bidding on auction items work your way into the crowd and then at the end of the night what we're going to do which we have done at this event is we're going to have a live auction with amazing packages and we're going to ask people to give at many levels to know that they're going to support something tangible here right that's what this is all about nick if people i mean obviously most of our listeners are not going to be here tonight is there a way if they are so moved to step up and try to help the University of Minnesota make a donation. Yeah, tonight I think you can follow the Diamond Awards. Uh, the Minnesota Twins will be promoting this on their social channels. The University of Minnesota Foundation. Diamond Awards has its own social media account, so feel ah. free to log into those and okay. follow along. Make a gift, a 100% tax deductible gift. If you want to be a, a, a bidder tonight and you want to send us $10,000 to maximize a gift, just text Jason to That's right. You can just text. <laughs> you just hit me up. If you have big money and you want to donate it to make a difference, in uh, the research that's being done to find a cure for ALS or Parkinson's, I believe you, I will connect you with the right and, and I think the other thing, too, is your gifts in action. We're talking about research and care, but the other thing that our dollars are doing, I just want to push this out there, is we're also providing patients access to mobility aids, equipment, support services, and resources that they might not be able to afford. These dollars will allow them to do that. Cool. 
Really good. Uh, it's going to be a great night. I'm looking forward to it, and hopefully we raise a lot of money. Thank you, WCCO. Thank you to the listeners, and thank you, Jason, for uh, being a committed partner to what we do at the University of Minnesota. We appreciate all those doctors and researchers and uh, everybody who's out there working so hard every day to try to solve. This is the beauty of having in this metropolitan area. We talk about the University of Minnesota. You talk about the sports teams, but uh, – it's a land-grant university that serves all of us. And this is, this for me, this is what it's about. This is what it's about. Thanks, Nick. It is 446, traffic, weather, coming your way. And we will be right back live from the Armory here on Drive Time with Russia. Remember last year when snow days were going to be gone for good? Parents right. were sad, yeah. like, oh, my gosh, remember when we were kids? The fun we had. Ah, the snow day. Sit around watching the prices ride. It was the best. I think you were the only one that did that, but go ahead. Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> what did you guys do on a snow day? For real. Not like your BS romanticized. When I was a kid, we would, we'd all gather at the old neighborhood sled hill and we walk down the block and we grab the tobacco. Give me a break. No, we built a sled hill in the front yard. You beat the crap out of your sibling in your house, and you annoyed the living daylights out of your parents, right? Isn't well, that what we did on snow days? Yeah, but that's like the first hour. So you got to have other stuff to do beyond that. The schools were getting rid of them because schools hate fun. And principals love like, to be able to say, well, we did this research, and now we have this new technological. And so uh, e-learning days. E-learning days. Mm -hmm. Snow days out, e-learning days in. We can still hit our state-mandated number of days in class and have an e-learning day. Well, lo and behold, both St. Paul and Minneapolis are bringing snow days back. Honest to God, of all of the things that I thought are crazy political leadership of today, academic leadership of today would cave on, Snow days was not on my bingo card. No. How is that back? Now, like, in St. Paul, it's just the first two, right? Well, I mean, how many snow I mean, days are we ever going to have? Well, well, this year, last year, they had quite a few. It's, it's very interesting. It seems like they're trying to strike a balance, is my point. <laughs> Boring. I, I mean, what it really is, is they're trying to figure out, like, in teacher contracts, how do we lengthen yeah. the school day? How do we shorten the school year? Well, maybe we'll get rid of these snow days. You know, I will say as a parent, like, all of these disputes about the length of the school year and the length of the school day, it's all sort of hilarious. Because you ask your kids, what did you do at school in June? I don't know. No, they know. Oh, yeah? Today we watched a movie. <laughs> Like, if, if, the, I mean, and believe me, teachers, you deserve yeah, you the we movie day. Like, I'm it. not lamenting that scenario. I'm just saying sort of the obsession over, like, whether we're a day over or a day under is a little ridiculous. Snow days are fine. Let the kid have the snow day, I guess. Uh, especially with the younger kids. Yeah. E-learning days for... Like first a young kid. Graders, yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? But, like, the parents have to be home anyway. Sure. Like, I guess I just don't understand what we're accomplishing here. Everyone feels good. Oh, the snow days are back. Like, it just seems like the silliest thing that... Who are the parents who are, like, marching on the school board meeting, furious about snow days going away? 
Is that like that's what we're worried about? I mean, in the meantime, like the reading scores are about as low as they've been. The math scores are terrible. There might be some other priorities worth looking at. Sure. And then we're worried about a, what, some book in a library or whatever. Oh, nonsense. Yeah, you have that. But the one thing, parents, you did it. You brought back the snow day. Congratulations. Oh, my gosh. Uh, we're going to talk to a Twins player at the Diamond Awards coming up after 530. Laura Oaks and CBS News. Coming at you in just a minute here on the 25th of January. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.